It's time to talk about Tori Amos, Little Earthquakes. Things are going to change, I feel it. It's just going to be that kind of body. Welcome back to Waterproof Records with Jacob Gibbons, and that is I, me, myself. If you're thinking to yourself, okay, wait, I've never listened to Tori Amos in my life. I've heard about her. Uh, You know, she's been around for decades, but uh, she's not necessarily for me. Just wait. Just hold out. Because you may have found this podcast or my reviews or my videos, and you may be somebody who's more driven to like the hard and heavy stuff. But I'm telling you, if you've never given Tori Amos a chance, I want you to go on this ride with me and just listen and get a feel and hear some of the stories and about the effect that it had on me and my life. And then maybe you'll emerge from this and be like, I am a Tori Amos fan forever. Or you're already a diehard fan, and we're just going to have a great time reminiscing about this album. Tori Amos was a very, very important artist for me as a teenager and through much of my young life, and she still is. You know, I wish I had. I wish I could say that I, I have kept up with the albums over the past five to ten years as much as I did when I was younger. But so often, isn't that the case? We get older and we get busier, and we have so much music to lean on from our past that it's hard to stay on top of everything that's coming out. But she is such an incredibly talented, beautiful, amazing soul, and I was fortunate enough to meet her once, and I'll tell that story in a little bit. But um, it, it's it's remarkable about how she came across, her music came across my life and the way that it affected me and stayed with me in such a major way. And I'm wondering if it it has been that way for you as well. Little Earthquakes was really the first album, big studio album that she dropped as Tori Amos. That was the, you know, that was the, the debut, if you will. That wasn't her first path into recording as a recording artist. She had come to Los Angeles, I think, many years before, and she had done more of kind of a pop rock record called Why Can't Tori Read? And it was um, it, it wasn't a successful album at all, but it was the first thing that she put out there. She was with a band, and she was going more for like the rock and roll style. And if you know anything about Tori, she actually really loves like Zeppelin and a lot of hard rock. And here she is so gifted and talented on the piano. And it was tough because she was trying to find ways to like rock on a piano. And that wasn't an easy feat. You know, when you have guitars and drums and bass, it's pretty easy to plug in that distortion pedal and just take it away. But she continually found unique and incredible ways to really turn the piano into an extension of herself and create music that did rock, but in its own way. You know what I mean? It wasn't like you're listening to Rage Against the Machine, but she was definitely raging against a lot of machines, you know, in her music. And and really, it's kind of one of those albums that I, I've got to say it was like the first idea of personal therapy, I guess you could say, as a as a teenager, as a young young man, um, young lad that it's the first time I really started considering a lot more self-reflection and was being challenged about my thoughts, my beliefs, uh, my sexuality, what it meant to be a man, uh, sensitivity towards women. It really opened a lot of those doorways for me. And I, 
you know, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. It's made me a better man, a better, better father, a better husband. So, um, Wow, this one we really dove in. If you've been listening to the show thus far, usually I spend a lot of time up top just uh, doing shenanigans. But I think that uh, this time around, we just we went for it. Went for the jugular. Um, uh, Little Earthquakes came out. Let's see, when was the release date here? January 6, 1992. But it was released in the UK, it looks like. Um, it took a little while. It looks like from what I've read here, she had a lot more releases coming out in the UK than the US at first. And I don't know if that was just like the record label being buttheads and thinking she would do better over there than here. I don't know. I mean, there's a, I'm, she has a huge following over there as well. She has a huge following globally. Are you kidding me? There are people that follow Tori uh, concert to concert through, throughout her entire career. Um, but this album came up to me in a very interesting way because at the time, let's see, in 1992, I would have probably been in, oh, I don't know, seventh grade. And at this time, I was, you know, just this is just that era where I'm I'm coming out of only metal and hard rock and stuff, you know, the Metallicas, and I'm getting into the alternative and into the grunge. And this is that this is that transitional time where I'm listening to Nirvana and Soundgarden and Smashing Pumpkins. And I get a girlfriend around here that is uh, one of my first significant serious relationships, a girl named Kate. I even referenced her in one of my um, TikTok videos about Soundgarden. I did it on purpose. You know, it's funny because in Hollywood and in screenwriting, I think you're not supposed to really pull from the true stories in your life, the names, because then you have to go to like legal and get clearance from that person to be using their real name. But I don't know if the same rules apply to (laughs) TikTok videos, but I was making the one about Soundgarden. And if you've seen it, the only reference I make is, when I started being interested in, in this girl, Kate, she, uh, everybody knew in our circle of friends, she went to a different school. Everybody knew that Kate loved Chris Cornell, that she thought he was beautiful, that he was handsome. And I just remembered when I was, um, that was like, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know how Kate feels about Chris Cornell. You know, that was like a thing. And so I remembered when I was making that video that I, I wanted to reference her. But she was that first major girlfriend that I had. You know what I mean? Like when you have that first one. I was pretty young. This is, you know, eighth grade, end of eighth grade. And she kind of had a similar appearance to Tori Amos at the time. And she was into Tori Amos. And she showed me Little Earthquakes. That's kind of how I found it. I think I had seen the silent all these years video with the white screen. I mean, it looks like now it looks like Tori's walking in an Apple store with a box (laughs) because it's just all white and there's a box and there's little mini baby pianos. Oh, somebody reached out to me on my social media when I did my Tori Amos uh, essential albums. And I think they had bought the tiny piano or they owned the tiny piano from the little earthquakes, which was incredibly cool. What a cool piece to own in your home. But I was introduced, um, in a relationship. And I think that that it's, it's wonderful that, a that a female introduced Tori to me, because that's, that's a great way to be introduced to an artist, you know, to be falling in love with somebody and also beginning to get kind of outside of your own adolescent mind and understanding a a, a different perspectives, you know? And, you know, I grew up on classical music and I listened to all sorts of piano music. My mother loved to play, you know, artists that played the piano, Emil Pandolfi, we had Enya, we had Yanni, we had lots of classical Chopin. And so I was no stranger. I even had tried to take piano lessons myself. I took piano lessons from about seven years old to nine. 
And it was a lot of, you know, sitting there with your piano teacher and, and doing the basic, the really simple stuff. I think as far as I got was Beethoven's Fur Elise. And, uh, you know, I can still play that to this day. But I got bored with it. At that age, it's kind of hard to get really excited about piano unless, I don't know, it's, it's not that hard. Because there's probably some of you listening that like started piano as a kid and now you're a virtuoso. And I, I really, truly regret not staying with it. Ugh. One of my biggest regrets, and I have tried year after year after year to teach myself and learn really how to play piano, but it's so much harder the older you get. I'm a guitarist. I can play the guitar pretty well, but piano, I can sit down and I can pluck out tunes by ear. If I take a little time, I can play some basic chords. I could, you know, do a very general, if I had to record my own music, I could play a couple chords if I had to figure out something, write something there. But the guitar is my instrument. But I played piano for those years and it was hard to get motivated because a lot of the music I would get into wasn't piano driven, right? So by the time I start wanting to play guitar, everything I'm listening to, there's a guitarist in the band. It's it's sexy. It draws you in. That's probably the same for a lot of you that play drums, bass, it just lures you in because you want to learn how to play these songs. But piano, I kind of wish that if I had at this point in time had been playing since I'd been seven, I could have tackled all these Tory songs. But um, but I did in order to impress Kate. I learned the intro to Winter. I taught it to myself by ear. And I remember um, her coming over to my house and me playing it for her. So mm-hmm, mm, what a romantic. But this album is really coming into my life in a, in a way where I'm not dealing with a lot of um, introspection. Adolescence is an odd time, right? Because life is moving at its own chaotic pace. You're going to school, there's friend circles, there's social cliques, and you're really trying to navigate your way through this hormonal mess that you're becoming. And, you know, a lot of the aggressive music I was listening to, that helped me because I wasn't an athlete I was not a, a sports guy at all. And so you've got all this um, sports in general. I mean, you can be a sports guy, sports girl, sports whatever. But I didn't have really an outlet for that aggression and that that tension, you know, that, that t- testosterone brewing in my body and hard music, heavy music, metal, rock. That was really how I channeled that. And that's how you got rid of it. But there was a lot of other stuff that I needed to figure out first and foremost, and this is not okay. We're going to talk about the music, but a big thing Tori introduced to me and it was hard as an adolescent. I was a Christian boy. I was raised in a Christian household. I lived in Tulsa. It was a Methodist family. We went to church every Sunday. I went to church on Wednesday nights for my youth group. I went to church on Friday or Saturday nights for like youth group things. I mean, I was at church so much at this point in time. I had yet to discover theater and acting as much at this age. And so much of my youth was spent at the church, you know, youth groups involved in all sorts of things, mission trips, all that Methodist though. So it's, you know, it's, it's not like super aggressive, but well, I guess it, it is in its own way. It's Oklahoma. You know, it's not like a, like a Methodist church in a busy metropolis where it's like you go on Sunday and then you go about your life. It was a big part of my life. And if you know Tori Amos, you know that she had a religious upbringing, a very oppressive religious upbringing. And she really sings a lot about those feelings about pushing back, 
feeling isolated, feeling a disconnect, feeling, uh, you know, the shame and the guilt and so many things that at the time I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out if it's okay for me to think these things, to feel these things. Now I'll tell you, whatever my audience belief system is, that's cool. You do you, you do your thing. I am a grown man now and I am cool with whatever you got as long as it doesn't hurt others. But for me personally, I left um, the church. I left it when I was in my late 20s and it was a lot of serious decision-making. It, it, it was a long journey to get me to a place where I felt like I needed to leave, and I did, and I haven't looked back. And But in my older years, I have a much more mellow you know, uh, approach to people's beliefs and exploring truths and meanings. But I got to tell you, being a fan of Tori Amos was tough when you still hold on to those belief systems, Right. Because there were things that I was being introduced to that made me feel uncomfortable. And great music really, really can make you feel uneasy and uncomfortable. You know, subject matter, lyrics, moods, feelings. It can challenge what you believe to be true, especially at 13, 14, 15 years old. You're just figuring things out. And here this this beautiful artist is suggesting that maybe God doesn't know what they're doing, or maybe there is no God, or maybe God's cruel, you know, or maybe your sexuality isn't as black and white, or maybe the, the, the sinful thoughts you have, there's nothing wrong with them. You know what I mean? Like these were the heavy duty, heavy shit. Should I start my show with like a, um, you know, warning, like this is not necessarily suitable for children because, you know, my other podcast, the biofriendly podcast, that's a family friendly show. That's about the environment. That's education. There's no profanity. I chose to make this podcast explicit, not because I'm just up here drop, dropping F-bombs left and right. You know, that's not the kind of show it is, but I knew that there would be times that I would be talking about music and I would be compelled to just be like, fuck, <laughs> you know, or that I would just be led to, to express myself. And I didn't want to put a limit on that. And then also I'm going to be having guests on the show. And as I have guests on the show, I didn't want to have them feel like, well, you can't say anything. I want this to be an open zone. So if you're listening to my show and you got kids in the car, or you're sitting around with your family, you're wanting to listen to the show, I'm going to get into some uncomfortable terrains from time to time because ugh, music, it really stirs up those feelings inside, right? So this album definitely did that for me. So um, let's dive in. Crucify right out of the gate. Why do we crucify ourselves? This was That's the opening song on this album. And wow. I mean, right out of the gate, when you're a, a religious kid and you hear that word being used in a, in a song like this, pop song, you're immediately uncomfortable and you feel like, not uncomfortable because it's bad, but because you told you were told it's bad to, you know, be so flippant about the idea of being crucified, you know, and the lyrics, you know, why do we crucify ourselves? And it really caused me to ask these questions about this guilt and the shame that, um, that I really had. My, my parents were wonderful parents and I'm not trying to say that they were, they didn't raise me in a, you know, guilt or oppressive way. We had a wonderful, um, family growing up, but church just does that to you, man. It just does it. It just, I gotta be honest. It just messes you up. You know, from the get go, it tells you that you're wrong, (laughs) that you're, that you were born sinful and that you're only redeemed a certain way. And I gotta tell you, 
that's not a healthy way to think as a child. That's not a healthy, it's not good. You shouldn't be thinking from the moment you have cognizance that um, something's wrong with you or that your thoughts are evil or that there's this entity that's trying to, you know, corrupt your soul and take you. These are just things that, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, I don't, neither of my boys have that taught to them. And cheers to that. You would not believe when I look at my sons and I see them experiencing their life without any kind of like, oh, well, you know, you know, all these things that you feel and think are of the devil or, or evil, or you're, you're, you're only clean through, you know, God's salvation. Anyway, you know, this may be the point where you were a fan of mine and you suddenly turn it off, but it's, it's hard for me to not it's hard for me to not address it. I have to address it. Um, big part of my life. But anyway, we'll get back to the music. We'll get back to the music. Okay. I'll, I'll ease it back. So Crucify is um, is one of those songs. And I, again, I, I've said before, I'm not going to do one of those things where I just talk about every single song on the album as if I know all these you know behind the scenes stories. I really don't. I was a diehard Tory fan. I became one after this. I bought everything. I'm telling you guys, I caught it all. After Little Earthquakes, I was so moved. I would sit in my room with a candle lit, and my girlfriend had to go to a school in another state. She went to an art school, and I used to sit there and, and cry and, and write letters to her and listen to Tori Amos. I mean, wow, really, really um, took a hold of me, like the pumpkins did. Um, I just found this really special relationship to her music. And um, it really started with this album, you know, from everything from kind of the playful uh, piano tunes where it's like having fun on the, the, the keys. Happy Phantom is an example of that to the really like heavy, heavy songs. I mean, Me and a Gun. Oh, my gosh. OK, so if you guys don't know this album, Me and a Gun is a song about. OK, this is sensitive subject material here. So trigger warning. And if you do have little ones in the car, we're going to talk about this. Um, me and a gun is an acapella song that Tori sings on the album about her rape. And it was important for me to hear that at this age, me and a gun is based on a true story that did happen to Tori in real life. I believe is, you know, a few years before when she was a little bit younger and it wasn't a gun. It was a knife. She was held at knife point. She was raped. Um, and she was threatened repeatedly by this man. And that, of course, is a nightmarish traumatic event that will never leave you. But this song, I'm being shared at the age that I am, I'm learning in a way, you know, this is pre-internet and I'm not being in the household I am. I'm not watching like graphic movies that are introducing me to these concepts. This is something that besides conversations, this is the first time I'm really getting a glimpse into a woman's experience having endured something so terrible. And, you know, I'm a sensitive guy and I always have been, I, you know, always pursued relationships and, and, uh, girlfriends and whatnot out of love. And, um, definitely not somebody who has been like, you know, one of those guys who's just like going to try to hook up with all the ladies, you know, that's never been me. Wasn't me as a, as a young boy either. I was always, I was always in love always in love, always had girlfriends and doted upon and, you know, (laughs) just a hopeless romantic and uh, still am to this day. But hearing a song, Me and a Gun, and, and, and just how awful that experience must be was, I think, a very important step in me um, acknowledging 
how horrible the world can be and how we have to protect the ones that we love, be there, listen to them, um, and just, you know, create a safe atmosphere for the ones that you care about to create a loving, welcoming atmosphere where people can feel safe to be vulnerable, to share their feelings. Um, and that's, this, this is one of those moments that this song impacts my life in such a way that I open the door and, and really start to let those feelings in. And to this day, a lot of my closest male friends in my life, I have female friends as well, but, um, my wife, she's my best friend too. Um, but a lot of my male friends, I've really gathered and collected men who are open and vulnerable and unafraid to share what's on their hearts and their fears. You know, I have other friends that, you know, they're not as comfortable with that and I'm fine with that. We, we talk about other things, but for the most part, it's really set me up to have friendships where you should feel safe and you should feel open. And I, I got to thank Tori for that. I got to thank this album for that, for allowing me to start tapping into those feelings uh, from a young age. So I know I skipped ahead on the album, but that's okay. Cause we're going to, we're going to go all over the place. Wow. This is kind of this most serious podcast I think I've put out so far, but Hey, not all of them are going to be funny. I may be a, a comic and, and, uh, you know, funny guy and like to make la- you know, jokes and laughter, but you know, music, right? There are some songs that'll break you up inside and, and Tori's no joke. Um, I was saying how I became such a diehard fan you know, again, I talked about this on the Pumpkins episode. I bought singles and B-signs, and this era was so great. It, it, there were CD singles that had B-sides on them. Like, she has a fantastic version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. I remember buying it and loving that version. You know, these awesome B-sides, like Take to the Sky and Flying Dutchman and uh, just so many incredible songs. I mean, oh, yeah, Upside Down, uh, The Pool, so many. Sugar. I mean, amazing. She was so prolific. She still is so prolific, still writes so much music. Um, you know, you get into songs like Girl. Silent All These Years was a single. There was definitely the video for that. So I do remember that. That's a beautiful song. Precious Things is was a good one for me. That was like an intense, intense song. It's still one of my favorites on the album, just for the way she cries out vocally on that song. So powerful, really, really hits you in the heart. Um, and then Winter, Wow. When you're going to make up your mind, that is a, that is a refrain that, that still kind of echoes in my mind to this day. And I think about how delicate that song, you know, affects you, how it, how it, it is, it, it is cold and comforting, just like winter, you know, it really, uh, you know, it's hard to put it into words sometimes, but winter was, is, is probably the standout song on that album for me. Um, happy phantom, playful and fun. China, beautiful song was once, uh, I think the original title for China was an earlier song and it was called, uh, distance, distance, um, leather. (laughs) We start getting into some interesting things here. Mother's a beautiful song, tear in your hand, beautiful song. The last song, little earthquakes. I love it. This is little earthquakes for me. The last track on the album is almost got this like when she starts doing those those high notes at the end and it's just echoing out and echoing out and getting more it's building and building and building. I love that part. I love that part. And then those those timpanies, those big deep drums playing. It's an incredibly powerful record. And um this just led me on a in a in a 
love of her music where I went out and got under the pink and boys for Pele and you know, all the, all the records after that. And I got a chance to see her live twice when I was in high school. I haven't seen her in a very long time. I'd love to see her, but now comes the time of the show where I'm going to tell you, I told this story on my TikTok, but I, I was pressed for time. It's a much cooler story um, that I can share with you now that uh, really was such a special moment. And I love to tell it because it, it really does um, show what kind of a wonderful woman she is and how incredible she is. Um, I had... I had a weird adolescence in high school where in the middle of high school, my family picked up and moved to Illinois and, um, you know, we moved to the Chicago suburbs, made some great friendships there, but also had like one of the worst years of my life at that school. I went to Wheaton North high school and that's just a Wheaton is like a horrible place. I mean, not my, the college is fine. My brother went there. My mother taught there, but Wheaton as a town, you want to talk about, religious oppression and a place that really cultivates just horribles. (laughs) Like, like what do you even say? Like so much oppression in your brain that they think they're being good and great, but it's just, it's got a dark underbelly to the whole town. And my experience at that high school was just a nightmare. You know, I'd like to say that I could look at you now and at 43 be like, Oh, I'm over it. It doesn't matter. No, it's still haunts me. I still feel like I did 25 years ago when this stuff happened, you know, and I got to see Tori Amos play, um, while I was at that high school that year was a big tour, I believe for, it must've been, geez, that would have been 1995 or 96. And I want to say that had to have been in support for under the pink. Um, I don't think it was boys for Pele. Maybe it was (laughs) anyway. So, um, I got to see this big, big venue when I was there and that was such a tumultuous time for me. Um, and I mean, I, I, Hey, by the way, I'm fully aware that there are other kids out there and other children in the world that have had it way harder than me. I get that. I'm definitely not playing a competition here and we're not trying to compare who had it worse. If you had it, had a nightmarish childhood or adolescence, I understand that. And mine was, you know, probably very privileged, but I'm only sharing with you more about the experience that I have because it's all I got, right? And this show is about me listening to music. And as we have guests on the show, we'll explore what other people's experiences are. But right now, as we're in the first five, it's really just me sharing about what I was going through. Um, But anyway, let's get to the Tori story that's good. Um, I got a chance to go back to my hometown my senior year. And go back to Tulsa and finish out in my high school. And at this point in time, I was in a very, very serious, committed relationship uh, with my high school girlfriend at the time. Um, and she and I had also loved Tori together. That that earlier relationship back in the Little Earthquake days, that was a, an important part of the relationship. But it carried on, you know, because I think that Tori just speaks to people on an emotional level. I was a fan for life no matter what. And I tend to find girlfriends that also were into Tori. And our our love of her music only grew together. So I get back into my hometown. I'm, I'm living with friends of the family. My family's still up in Illinois. And I live in Tulsa. And I'm living with one of my best friend's parents. And so I... Um, Tori is going to be coming through Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she's going to be playing this concert. And my girlfriend buys the tickets. And I mean, these are great tickets. They're like front row, fantastic tickets. 
And like I said to you earlier, I got very involved in community theater and and high school theater and choir and show choir and musical performances. Uh, Every ounce of my time as a teenager was filled up with some kind of live performance. I swear. it 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 was so much of my life. And so sure enough, Tori's coming into town. We have these amazing tickets. And I find out that my school, I am part of a special, like I'm in this show choir group and we have a very specific performance that night that's at a location. It is not something I can get out of. I can't. And I found out it's the same night as the Tori Amos concert. Now, in hindsight, I kind of wish I would have done something a little bit more devious and lied and said I was sick or something. But, you know, I was a good kid. I was following the rules. So I told my girlfriend, Kathy, at the time, I said, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. And, and I, the only solution, I think, is you go to the show. And as soon as my performance is over, I'll race over. And at the time, you know, you're thinking, okay, I've got this performance and it's from 6 to 7.30 or 6 to 8 or something. And the concert's not beginning until, you know, doors at 7, you know, things start out 7.30, 8. So I'm thinking to myself in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I might be able to just miss like the first hour. And from the last Tori concert I saw back in Illinois, I saw, you know, it was a big, big concert venue and she played for a very long time. And so I thought, "Eh, I've got a good shot at this. So I end up finishing up. I jump in my car and it's on the opposite end of town. I'm on the south end of Tulsa. I got to get to the north end. Not a huge town, but it's going to take a minute. I get there. I drive a park. I run into the theater and literally it's like the last song of the night. I think it was even already an encore. And I'm just, just, I'm mortified. Oh, poor 17-year-old Jacob is just moved to tears. I think I might have been 18, actually. Moved to tears and heartbroken that he missed Tori and this special moment. And and uh, one of my good friends, um, Kara, had, had been able to sit into my seat. She had tickets to the show that were further back. And she told me later that while they were waiting on me to get there, she had my seat. And good, good on you, because I it shouldn't have sat vacant. vacant. So I get there. I'm heartbroken. I'm out in the parking lot. Then finally, people start coming out from the show. And I've just, I've got tears in my eyes. I'm heartbroken. I can't believe it. I can't believe I missed the whole show. And it just, you know, at this age, soul crushing, guys. Oof. Teenage heart. Broken. So Kathy comes out. My friends come out. You know, people who were at the show come out. And they're they're kind of consoling me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We were all hoping you'd make it. But I just narrowly missed it. It just took too long. Too, took too long to get there. So finally, if you've ever seen Tori live, at least she did this back in the 90s, they had the barricade set up and then the tour truck over there. And I'm standing there and, you know, we're over by the barricades and we're there early before crowds have really gathered because we're just kind of standing. And my girlfriend had brought a copy of the Jungle Book because we had read somewhere that Tori really loves that story. So she bought a copy and she wrote a note on the inside. I wrote a note on the inside and we had it ready so that when she came out and headed to the tour bus... We could give it to her. So we're standing there. There's not a lot of people around yet. But then, sure enough, crowd starts forming. And it's getting really, really crowded up against those barricades. But we're right up front. We're right in the middle of this barricade. And we're standing out out there. And, you know, I'm starting to calm down, starting to feel a little bit better. But I'm pretty despondent. I'm pretty, like, staring off into space with red eyes. And then out comes Tori. And she's making her way towards her tour bus. And... You know, if you've seen her live before, she makes her way down 
And of course, because she is so loved and adored and does touch on things uh, that, that people find very personal, she's making her way down and people are going, I love you. I love you. And they're giving her flowers and they're reaching. And she's being so sweet. She's touching their hands uh, pre-COVID, right? She's just going and touching their hands and saying, thank you. Thank you. Making her. But you know, as an artist, what, what can you do when, you're, when people are shouting accolades at you? You can just say thank you, right? <laughs> after a while, that's all you got. And if you do this night after night after night, it's probably fairly repetitious. So she's making her way down. She's making her way down. She gets to Kathy. Kathy hands her the Jungle Book. She says thank you, which was very sweet. And then she gets to me. And I look at her in the face and she's like, you know, been hearing all these people shouting, I love you. You're amazing. Ah, stuff. And I just look at her point blank. And I mean, she's like, we're talking maybe a foot away from my face. And I say, I missed your show tonight. And she just stops like, like as if the sound sucked out of the room, sucked out of the outside. And she stops and she just looks at me and she's like, how come? And I, I just explain, I go, well, you know, my school had a, had a choir performance and I'm part of the the, you know, the performance and we had to perform with this house. It was at like an event and it was booked months in advance and I didn't know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I was probably better at explaining it than that. This sounds pretty bad. Um, but I just, I explained it to her and she just kind of goes like, I think that's awesome. And she just goes on to say things like, she goes, what's your name? And I go, Jacob. And she goes, Jacob. And from here on out, she just keeps saying my name back to me, which was so cool. You know, she looks at me and she's like, Jacob, you know, I'm an old hag and I'm going to be playing music for the rest of my life. So there's going to be plenty of opportunities to see me play live. And she's like, what I love is that you're pursuing your art. You're pursuing your own thing. And she just went on to tell me that really the most important thing I could ever do in life is to do what is important to me. And I was, you know, it was pulling me out of it and starting to make me feel a lot better and what felt, this was probably only a couple minutes, but I was just, this was like a dream and people are still shouting things around us, but it feels like we're, feels like we're at a coffee bar and we're just like having a coffee and talking together for a few minutes, you know, just having a back and forth. And then finally she's, she goes, you know, she, she's like talking to me and she keeps saying my name back to me. She's like, well, Jacob, you know, cheer up. It's going to be okay. I'm sure I'll pass through again or whatever. And she's like, and you know, maybe one day we'll meet on different terms. She was like, maybe one day, if you can continue to pursue your art and your creativity, you'll, you'll be the, you'll do that for a living and we'll meet in that way or something, something like that. It was like, we'll come together again. And so she, you know, very sweet. Then she walks on and there's more adoring fans that are saying, Tori, I love you. And there she's making her way down. She's making her way down. She gets the end of the people. And then the tour bus is there and her security is like ushering her towards the bus. Then this is my favorite part. And I promise you, I'm not lying. It's a true story. She stops hands, whatever flowers she's holding to her team, whatever's in her hands that's been given to her. She hands it over. She makes a beeline just right back from me, just me. And she grabs my hand and she looks at me in the eyes and she says, I'll find you again one day, Jacob. (laughs) Oh, you guys, you guys. I've told that story to dear friends and, and, and people that care so many times, but I'm telling you, it's the same every time. That's the phrase that echoes in my memory was that she said she'd find me again one day and she has yet to find me again. <laughs> but now because of TikTok and these videos and stuff, I did do an essentials album, uh, thing for her, for little earthquakes that maybe, 
maybe she'll see that I'm a fan and that I love her music and I think she's amazing. And maybe she'll say, well, he didn't make it in, you know, singing and performing, but he's making podcasts and he's doing music reviews and that's pretty cool. Um, you know, this episode, I'm going to listen back to it. I'm going to be like, man, I covered like religious oppression and sexual identity and horrible traumatic subject matter and whatnot. But hey, that's Tori Amos for (laughs) you. That really digs in. Um, But I, I, uh, I highly recommend if you've never given her a listen. At the time, there were a lot of really strong female artists coming out. You know, you had, um, Liz Fair, Bjork, Sarah McLaughlin, Tori Amos, um, so many incredible artists that were coming out and really making a difference. And Juliana Hatfield and um, gosh, there's so many more incredible artists that I'm, I'm drawing a blank on. But it seemed like you'd almost pick your singer songwriter, your, your female artist and really grab a hold. And for me, it was all about Tori Amos. Um, and this album, it really does you know, I should maybe save this for when I one day cover, um, under the pink, but I mean, there's a song on there, God, sometimes it was called God. And that was her, her hit song. And the lyric was God. Sometimes you just don't come through. Do you need a woman to look after you? And I remember I used to turn down that part or I'd skip it. I'd skip that song or I turn the lyric down because my, my faith at the time told me that that was wrong to think those things. And it's just wild to me now that I finally get to appreciate all of her art and all of the lyrics without that guilt and that shame anymore. Um, That might have been one of the things that held you back personally. If you didn't get into her, it was it was part it came with the package. You know, she had a T-shirt that referenced a lyric in a song like that said, I'm a recovering Christian. And I remember a friend of my brother's saw that once and said to him like, Oh, screw you, Tori, or whatever. That was his, cause we were all church going kids, you know, but you know, now, Oh, does that lyric ring true or what? It really does ring true for me as an adult about all the ways that I personally in my journey had to recover and heal and, you know, had to really readjust the way I thought about existence and what it meant to feel and think certain things without feeling bad about it anymore. And so that may have been something if you grew up like I did that held you back from appreciating her work. But I think it's important to dig into that stuff. I think it's important to understand um, grief and isolation. And um, I think it's understand uh, it's important to understand being comfortable with your own body and uh, who you are and your identity. And I said it at the beginning of the show, but Little Earthquakes was like opening the door of looking inward. It was therapy for a kid that didn't know what therapy was yet. It was my chance. It was my opportunity to ask myself if I was okay or if maybe this whole God and Jesus thing was making me feel bad or if I had an impure thought, maybe there's nothing wrong with me or that there are there's horrible violence in the world and I need to be, I need to be one of the better men. I need to be a good man and take care of those that I love and protect them. Heavy, heavy shit, heavy, heavy shit, but important shit. Um, there's really nothing else that I want to say other than this, this album is, um, 
is a big part of my life and she'll always be a big part of my life. I'd love to get the chance to sit down with Tori sometime and have that cup of coffee um, and just talk about how important she was. You know, I know I went on a little bit of a tangent about living in Illinois uh, and I didn't really dive into that much, but I couldn't help it because it, this is that time, right? I picked up, I moved to a new town and so much of that year was really about leaning on comforts to get through it. You know, no internet, no zoom, no way to talk to friends at home, just phone calls and, and bands and music. You know, that was the year that smashing pumpkins, melancholy came out, needed that album more than ever during that time. That's the time that I'm, I'm pretty sure under the pink came out. Um, you know, I should check that actually. She have a, Let's go to Tori Amos discography here, just so I can check it out and make sure. So I want to know the years. Oh, Under the Pink was 94. I was still in Tulsa then. Okay, so it was Boys for Pele that I saw the tour. It was Boys for Pele. Yeah, that makes sense, because she was playing a lot of the harpsichord then. That was so cool in the live experience. She had the harpsichord over here, the piano over here, and she would go back and forth. It was awesome. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up right there, guys. I know I kind of ran there long, and I know this got a little heavy. Um... And they will from time to time. They're going to get serious. They're going to get soulful. They're going to get kind of introspective. Um, but it's an introspective album. It's a, it really, really does uh, start to open up a lot of things as, as an adolescent. And now that I'm a father and I have, teenage, I have a teenage son and a younger son, it really does start to open up like what they're going through and comparing it to my life. What an interesting time to be doing this. You know, I'm, I'm literally hosting a podcast and reliving artists at the same age that my son is becoming now. That's wild. It's wild, guys. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining me this time on Waterproof Records. This has been uh, this has been fun, and I hope it's been uh, I hope it's been good for you guys too. And it, it was a it was a serious one. So we'll see you next time. Things are gonna change. I feel it. If this goes to that kind of party, I'm gonna-